You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Job chapter 11, verses 1 through 20. Zophar urges Job to repent. Like the other two before him, now Job's third comforter interrogates him. Zophar offers nothing new but continues to pound Job with the same concept of divine retaliation for wickedness. But he is especially offended that Job dares to protest his innocence. He calls Job's defense of his innocence and God's apparent injustice idle talk, as if Job just loved to hear himself speak, and therefore feels it's his place to not hold his peace, but rather rebuke Job. Then he misquotes him. Has he not been listening? He says Job claims to be sinless, although just the opposite has been said. Job only claims he is not a hypocrite, hiding some great sin while pretending to be godly. He asserted he was sincere in his faith and obedience to God and was a man of integrity, and we know this is true because of God's assessment of the situation in chapters 1 and 2. So far even wished God would speak. He was sure he would side with Job's friends. What we'll discover is that God sides with Job against his friends. We often want God to hear our petty disputes and take our side, but we may find the result quite the opposite from what we expected, because he always judges fairly. One Old Testament example is when Joshua meets a man with his sword drawn just before they cross the Jordan into Jericho. He asks the man if he is for them or for their enemies. And this is when you'd expect God to say, I'm on Israel's side, of course. But no, he is in charge of a greater army. He says, neither, he replied, but as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua knows enough to fall on his face and ask what he commands of him. Then he is told to take off his sandals because he is standing on holy ground. And there are another two examples from the New Testament. One is of brothers fighting over their inheritance. One wants Jesus to command his brother to divide it equally. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So he refused to get involved in something that was a matter for civil authorities, but pinpointed the spiritual issue behind it. The second New Testament reference is regarding sisters Mary and Martha. While they gladly hosted Jesus and his twelve disciples for a meal, Martha did all the work of cooking and serving while her sister Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him teach. Martha doesn't address Mary, but goes directly to Jesus, expecting he'll rebuke Mary for laziness and Martha will be vindicated and helped. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So we see from these three examples and from so far that when you ask God to intervene for you, expecting to come out on top, it doesn't always happen that way.
He even wishes that God would show Job the secret of his wisdom. He will do that in chapters 38 to 41. Yet so far should have applied this to himself. Since God's wisdom is deep, high, and broad, and unknowable, and he himself so transcendent, how is it that Zophar knows exactly what God is doing in this instance, and why? Why did he alone know all the answers? He reminds Job of God's attributes. He is all-powerful, so that if he imprisons someone or brings him to judgment, who can hinder him? He talked about the omniscience of God, reminding Job that God knows deceitful men and sees wickedness, all referring to Job, no doubt. And while his motive may be jealousy for the honor of God, by speaking words without knowledge, as God calls it, he insults Job and trivializes his suffering. It never crosses his mind that he could be wrong, so he condemns Job as if he was speaking for God. His theology was sound, but the spirit in which he spoke and the application of it was wrong. And then, to refer back to Job's idle talk, he says, But the witless can no more become wise than a wild donkey's colt can be born human. As we would say today, you can't fix stupid. He implies that far from being wise, Job is out of control like a wild donkey. Yet it is Zophar who is manifesting pride by being so sure he is right. Because he has concluded that Job must be very wicked since he is suffering so much, he lays out a four-step plan for Job to follow. First, if you devote your heart to him, that's devotion. Two, and stretch out your hands to him, pray and ask for forgiveness. Three, if you put away the sin that is in your hand, forsake sin, Four, and allow no evil to dwell in your tent. Don't tolerate sin. So if Job did these things, then he would be blessed. He says, Then, free of fault, you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. He says, You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it as waters gone by. We would say, like water under the bridge. He describes an idyllic life for Job, if only he'd do as he counseled. Job's life would be brighter than noonday, he'd be like the morning, he'd be secure because there is hope, he could rest in safety and lie down and no one would make him afraid. Instead, many would court his favor. He started out addressing Job directly, but now switches to proverbial language and although he speaks of the wicked failing, not escaping, and finally dying, he has managed to insinuate Job and call him wicked indirectly. The last phrase of verse 20, their hope will become a dying gasp, is a sad commentary on the view of many today, especially in regard to assisted suicide or medical assistance in dying. The best they can hope for is that if they can't die in their sleep, is to escape any suffering by choosing when to end their lives. But that presupposes that this life is all there is. So sad that they wake up on the other side, only to face judgment sooner. From Zophar, we learn a few things about God. We need never fear overestimating the greatness of God, but rather of limiting Him. We need to meditate on how small we are in relation to our great God. We should be jealous for the glory and honor of God. 
blasphemy and profanity of God's name is so commonplace that even believers become desensitized to it. While we know God will defend his own honor and we are never to fight for him, neither should we feel forced to remain silent when people malign the Lord who bought us. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ are an application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Zophar says, Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. Other versions say, Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. The idea behind both those statements is the grace and mercy of God. If we were truly held to account personally for all of our sins, we could not stand. But thank God, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Yet there is a sense where an omniscient God can forget our sin, separating us from them as far as east is from the west, in the sense of not holding it against us. That is because it was paid for by Jesus. Corey Ten Boom said, God takes our sins, the past, present, and future, and dumps them in the sea and puts up a sign that says, No fishing allowed. Zophar expects, expected that if God was to take sides, he'd side with them against Job. We saw from earlier examples in scripture that what we expect does not always occur. Zophar's advice was sound. We are to devote ourselves to God, pray and repent, forsake sin, and do not tolerate its presence. These are still how we get right with God, but the basis is the finished work of Christ, not our own efforts. Zophar told Job that if he was forgiven, he'd sleep well without fear. Because we have peace with God, we also have peace of mind and need not fear. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Job chapter 12. May God bless the study of his word.